Where do you keep your coffee cups? Everybody's got a cupboard or a cabinet, right? Where you keep your coffee cups. If, if, you, uh, if you come to my house, those of you who do, you know where the cups are kept. They're over the coffee maker. You don't even have to ask. Just take a cup and get yourself some coffee if you'd like to do that. And, uh, you know, I think that most people we do, we've got this set of match cups that we, we put out sometimes when people come for dinner. But most often during the day, you probably use a mug for coffee. And, uh, and if your house is like mine, many of those mugs have writings or pictures on them. And some of those uh, mugs are commemorative. They're souvenirs from places that you've been or things that you've done. Maybe you have mugs from the Outer Banks or a mug that says, uh, I survived college. Or maybe if you're an empty nester, I survived kids or whatever it might be. And so some of those mugs are commemorative. Some of them are future-looking. I've seen mugs that say things like uh, future trophy husband or future author or future doctor. In the New Testament, the word that we translate as cop has two meanings. And I'm going to read both of them from you from uh, Bauer's Greek lexicon of the New Testament. Now, this word we translate cup, it says, is a vessel used for drinking. A cup, which is the literal, the physical sense of the word. And then Bauer continues, figuratively, one's destiny in a good or bad sense. The cup that someone has. And when those two meanings are merged together, when the, when the physical vessel and the contents of it have a figurative meaning, we call that a sacrament. I'm going to read to you today from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 15 through 16. This is God's word. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Father, today as we bow in your presence and we worship you, uh, we've gathered here today, O oh Lord, not at our own initiative, but at your call. We've come into your presence to, as our Lord Jesus said, to do this in remembrance of him. And I pray, Father, that today you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we would meet with you through these elements that you've given to us that we would grow in our grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and in our love and compassion for one another. 
Father, we ask these things that your great name might be glorified, that the salvation which Christ has purchased for us might be accomplished, and that all things would redound to his glory, being done in his name. Amen. The cup, it's a physical drinking vessel that we use. And it contains actual wine. But more than that, it indicates our destiny. The cup of blessing, that's what the Apostle Paul calls it here. Blessing is the act or the benefit of bestowing good upon someone. It's a cup of blessing, a cup that bestows good. Not the cup itself, the physical vessel, it's what the cup holds, and it's not what the cup holds itself, but it's what it connects us to. Paul says that it's a participation in the blood of Christ. And that term, of course, the blood of Christ, refers to his death. You know, there are two mistaken notions that have been held throughout the history of Christianity, held no doubt by some sincere brothers and sisters, but nonetheless, I think that they're mistaken. The one is that the bread of the supper is literally and really the physical body of Christ, that the wine is literally and really the physical blood of Christ. I don't think that that's sound biblical exegesis. You know, some of my uh, Roman Catholic friends, some of my Lutheran friends will say, well, you know, uh, Jesus said, this is my body. He didn't say, uh, this reminds you of my body, this symbolizes my body, uh, this is like my body. He said, this is my body. What part of that don't you get? Well, I might reply to them, what part of it don't you get? Because those words, this is my body and this is my blood, were spoken by Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. They weren't spoken later from heaven. They were spoken by the Lord Jesus in the state of his humiliation there with his disciples. And in whatever mystical sense people may want to conceive of Jesus' physical body morphing into the bread, as our Catholic friends think, or into the bread, as our Lutheran friends think. It didn't happen on that night when his body was quite intact, when the entire volume of his blood was contained within his circulatory system. So it must have meant something else when he said, this is my body and this is my blood. But the other mistake is in thinking that the supper is a mere symbol of Christ. Paul sees something much more profound than that. In the cup, he sees a nexus, a connection 
to the blood of Christ. And in the bread, he sees a nexus, a connection to the body of Christ. Paul says, not that it's a symbol, that it's a reminder, that it's a remembrance. He says it is a participation in the blood of Christ. A participation in the body of Christ. Now certainly Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's certainly not less than that, but Paul indicates that it's more. It's a connection, a commonality, a participation in the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ refers to his death and particularly to his violent death. When people die peacefully, there's usually not blood. How can that be a blessing? Well, it's a blessing because his violent death was in place of ours. Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a cup of blessing for us, which we bless because it was a cursed cup for him. Jesus had asked his disciples, you remember they were they were jockeying for positions of power in the kingdom. They, they still had in mind this idea of an earthly kingdom and that greatness was to be found in greatness. <laughs> that greatness was to be found in seeking first place. That greatness was to be found in power. And as they did that, jockeying for position and arguing with and asking, arguing with each other and asking him who would be first, who would see, sit at his right hand and who would sit at his left. Jesus said to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? To which they foolishly said yes. They had no idea what that cup what that destiny was. But Jesus did. And in the garden, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It's a cup of blessing for us because it was a cup of cursing for him. It's the cup, I think, that was spoken up by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 51, awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Among all the children she bore, there was none to guide her. Among all the children she reared, there was none to take her by the hand. These double calamities have come upon you who can comfort you, ruin and destruction, famine and sword, who can console you. Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner like antelope caught in a net. 
They are filled with the wrath of the Lord, with the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says. Your God, who defends his people, see, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. So what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? For certainly this cup is a cup of blessing for which we should give thanks. But it's important to make sure our hearts are right as we partake of it. I want to remind you and point out to you again that this is no mere symbol, no mere memorial. It is a participation in Christ. The supper is the nexus that God has chosen to connect us to Christ. And it's because Paul understood that and believed it that he warns us, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So examine yourselves carefully. But as I say that to you, don't let sin keep you from coming. There's a story told one time of the, uh, of the great British Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, that once when communion was being served, there was a, 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 an older woman, she'd come to faith in Christ. Later in life, she was sitting up near the front, and she, when they were uh, having communion, became so overcome with the sense of her sin that as the deacons were distributing the elements in the Baptist church, the deacons uh, do those uh, kinds of things, that as the deacons were distributing the elements, Spurgeon noted that as they passed by this woman, she put up her hand and would not take the cup. And um, as they returned with the communion elements, Spurgeon took a cup and walked up to that woman and said to her, knowing that woman, knowing her spiritual sincerity, gave her the cup and said, drink, woman, it was shed for sinners. Don't let sin keep you from coming, but confess your sin. Repent of your sin and determine by the power of Christ's death and his resurrection to put it away from you. What can you do to repay Christ for all that he's done for you? There's nothing. You can only with open heart and open hands receive his grace, be cleansed of your sin, and live a new life. Not by your efforts and your own steam, so to speak, but by his grace and his enabling spirit. What can you render to the Lord for all of his benefits to you? 3,000 years ago, 
An unnamed poet asks that same question. His words are recorded in Psalm 116. He wrote, What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. 